This is a Mainstam Musings original podcast. Enjoy! Hello and a post-bank holiday welcome to the Fan Dissection podcast. Today we hear from my final guest, my mum, Caroline Clark, to talk about my club, Manchester City. This podcast brings a whole new generational angle that we've not heard before, most interestingly on hooliganism in the 1980s. My mum has a completely different take to me on derbies, relocation from Main Road to the Etihad and the Blues' recent financial prowess. Enjoy. Hi, Mum, and uh, welcome to the Fun Dissection podcast. Great to have you on. Thank you, James. I'm honoured. We'll start with the simple question that we always start with. What does it mean to be a Manchester City fan? Being a Manchester City fan in Manchester is binary. If you're into football, you're one or the other, and you don't question it. I was brought up in a City household. I was never going to be anything else. And it was my destiny to be a City fan and to hate United and never to be sporting and support them regardless. So why is it then that you're a City fan? My dad, although he would say that all modern players, by that he means around 1972, wore carpet and it wasn't like the old days. His dad supported Man City. And in those days, I think football was a bit more of a family affair in that it was more accessible. You know, main road, a friendly ground, and there seemed to be more football that you could access on television. There was, there was people didn't pay for it. It was just part of who you were. My brother grew up to be a big City fan, and many, many happy memories of watching the the, the scores come up on the television before we had the internet, and sometimes we didn't know what had happened till we got the final score. You speak straight away about the Manchester rivalry. What other than that, before we get a bit deeper in, into that, what else bonds Manchester City fans together, do you think? Until very recent history, in my eyes, the bond is being consistently um, up and down. The, the roller coaster of being a City fan, the despair of seeing them beaten by Macclesfield Town, the, you know, throw it all away in the last minute, <laughs> the faces of people coming out of Main Road. The waste of paying 50p to park your car there, all that. I think, I think that a modern day City fan has not been through those initiations that, you, that are required to be a City fan. Well, even though today we still see glimpses of being able to throw it away for no apparent reason. Let me ask quite a simple question then. How much of a Manchester City fan would you say you are? You can't say I'm a dyed-in-the-wool City fan on the grounds I, I don't have a season ticket. I don't go to every match. In fact, I seldom actually go to matches. But I think in terms of being a supporter, it's wider than that. I think I feel very passionate about the club. I will always feel that way. I feel a little bit more cynical now in terms of the amount of money that's behind the club. But I feel that being a City supporter is part of who I am, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think how much you've followed the club has fluctuated throughout the years? Yes, for sure. And in terms of the fun I had choosing my 11, they represent kind of times in my life. Sometimes I was more into football, sometimes less in, in terms of following, you know, week by week. 
but in terms of always being a city supporter and in terms of if football ever came up being asked that question there's never any doubt as you said it's, it's a roller coaster not only following the club but it's a roller coaster just for any city fan having been through what city fans have been through you were born and your formative years were during what many would consider city's golden era and then from then on it was just a steady decline for 44 years yeah well, we- <laughs> Well, we're kind of prepared to wait, you know. <laughs> there was always a joke in Manchester, and it perhaps applies to City as well, though, but back in the day, that you would know somebody was a Manchester United fan because they didn't come from Manchester. Well, speaking then about, about the United fans, the Reds, the other half, what is your personal experience of the Manchester rivalry? There's always that rivalry, and in terms of it unites the City in its rivalry but there's never a compromise you'd never if City were out of a competition you'd absolutely never want United to win it's just so black and white anybody that says oh well I'll cheer for United because they're not football fans they're they're not a United or a City fan and I think that's what makes it there's a little bit or they used to be not so much now a geographical and and potentially a little bit religious divide but and I think that's really, really blurred now in terms of Mancunians. You are just through your generations, one or the other, and never the twain will meet. Yes, yeah, so let's just dig a little bit further then into two of those things you said. So firstly, the geographical aspect. You grew up in South Manchester, which is considered city heartland, whereas my, my youth, I was in Southwest Manchester, which is pretty much red heartland. I was a minority in my class as a city fan. As a City fan in your school, would you say you were in the majority? No. I, I suppose, associate perhaps City fans, well, perhaps put it the other way. United fans are South Manchester-based, I think, in terms of um, Sale, Altrincham, Trafford, all that area I associate, Stretford, all being dyed in the wool reds. And even when I was growing up, you felt a bit of a minority as a City fan. It was probably more... East Side, where the true, where the, the majority of City fans were. And uh, as you say, there's also some kind of religious context. Most people probably won't know that about the, the Manchester rivalry. Can you explain a little bit as to where you think that comes from? And I think probably that through the history of the clubs in terms of affiliation with churches back in the day, and I say it's a very, very loose stroke, not even there anymore connection, but it, it was rough, very roughly associated that United had associations with the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not sure the city had any associations. <laughs> well, the city obviously started as, as St. Mark's in Galton, so it did start as a church team. So, you know, it's only natural that they would have that kind of religious connection but as you say the clubs grew far beyond that city were St Mark's and Ardwick then became Manchester City in 94 and, and United followed suit being Newton Heath and then and then United and that's obviously over a hundred years of being the two Manchester clubs for you as a fan do you feel a sense of that history when they play oh yes I would have imagine that's felt by other teams and the same if you're in Liverpool, Liverpool, Everton. Oh, for sure. The two derby matches in the typical league are the most interesting, uh, on paper anyway, fixtures of the season and generally turn out to be not that at all. But yeah, always and, and quite often do produce surprising results. Throughout your whole life as a City fan, do you think the most memorable moments for you are derby moments? I think just because they were, if City beats United, that's a memorable moment, even if it was the worst 
match ever. So I suppose it's difficult to answer that rationally. I'm sure not. I'm sure there have been fabulous matches over the years, of course. But the derby matches at that moment in time are, are, are the ones that give the most buzz. As we say, the derby matches are, are what City fans look forward to every single year. Well, do you think generally City fans are more City fans before being football fans? Yes, I say that with an element of bias because City fans, they always believe that United fans are a peripheral for football supporters. So they might have some allegiance to United, but they, they would probably support somebody else on another week. That's what we believe. Whereas City has its own little kind of parallel universe going on. You're a bit of a local history buff, as, as I well know, especially canal-based history. You all know better than anyone that there is this Manchester-Liverpool rivalry and United-Liverpool has long been considered a rivalry. But do you think there's becoming a Manchester City-Liverpool rivalry, especially in recent years? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Only in recent years. Back in the day, Liverpool were, as they are now, a fabulous team. And, and we always used to get absolutely stuffed by them. So I don't think we could afford in our, in our heads and hearts to have that rivalry against Liverpool. There is the rivalry there seems to be between United and Liverpool. Because again, back in the day, there was a long period of time when United were a much more successful team. Wouldn't use the word better. And I think that rivalry grew out of that. I don't think we feel that the same way, although we say potentially because of the success of the two teams, that's grown up a little bit in more recent years. But it's not rooted, I don't think, in the same way as perhaps the Liverpool-United rivalry is. <laughs> Let's move on to City's home then. City played the Etihad now, but you'll have known Main Road as City's home for the majority of your life. What did Main Road mean to you and to other City fans? It had a kind of smell and a feel. And there wasn't anything like the Etihad now. And I just remember when you went to Main Road, there were rows and rows of what people would imagine about Manchester. Traditional terrace houses, lots and lots. And all the kids are on the street and you could park anywhere, but you had to give them 50p because otherwise your car was basically going to have no wheels when you got back. That, that's kind of what I remember. I'm, I'm sure they did do some kind of food back in the day, bit of a hot bovril going on maybe, but I, I, I don't, certainly don't think most people would risk anything that was being offered at the ground. I think they probably had one lady's toilet. Do you, do you remember when the decision was made to move from Main Road? How did that affect you? Do you know, it was a really weird feeling and things move on, don't they? But I felt like we left a bit of city behind there and one of the players I've chosen, he played his last match on the last match at Main Road. Did you feel at the time it was inevitable that City would move out of Main Road and into the Etihad? I suppose not until that was on the cards uh, and I'm not taking away what the club has done for that part of Manchester and I can't describe what that part of Manchester was like before either in terms it was a huge area of deprivation and the, the Etihad Stadium being there has made massive differences and that's all only to be applauded but Main Road was a brass tax of Manchester City as I'm sure a lot of grounds were and to me, it was the start of the moneyed football, the big salaries, the TV coverage, and it tidied up football in some ways. It took it back to 
being a family and an event sport because I think we need not to be too rosy about what football was like, particularly in the 80s. It certainly wasn't somewhere you'd want to take young children. So mixed feelings. So certainly I feel that Main Road reflected the club that City were then. And the Etihad is the other way. It, it symbolised the rise of the club, the money that's now available to the club. And it is far more of a package if I can put it that way. It's not just you turn up on a Saturday afternoon. People went to football matches because they just decided they had nothing else to do on the day. And, you know, that, it doesn't work like that now. Let's talk then a little bit about the Etihad. And, you know, a lot's made by rival fans about the atmosphere and the so-called empty seats. What's your take on all that? As a City fan, do you feel slightly hurt that rival fans don't think we've got an atmosphere and, and we can't fill the stadium? I think it's a difficulty across the board with big stadiums and there are matches where inevitably not every seat will be filled. I think it's got a fabulous atmosphere, but then I would say that, wouldn't I? I'm a City fan. And of course, it has a stand named after my favourite player. So what's not to like? The walk up to the Etihad is exciting and you still feel those butterflies about going to watch your favourite team. I do think it's got atmosphere. And I'm sure if you go to watch any event, football or otherwise, in a stadium that's not filled and not even half filled, you're going to, of course, lose out on atmosphere. Taking a slightly broader look at that question then, I mean, you and I both went to the FA Cup semi-final last year at Wembley, where there was quite a few empty seats in the, in the city's end. And then City got criticised again for the Carabao Cup final this season for not being able to fill their allocation. What would you say to those rival fans who would criticise City for that? especially for successful teams, they're a kind of victim of their own success, aren't they? Because they end up with more matches, more places for fans to go. That costs money. Uh, And certainly the time that we went to Wembley, the club, in in fairness, did help out. And in in terms of atmosphere, I felt atmosphere. I think atmosphere is a little bit within you as well, isn't it? It's what you're feeling about what you're going to see, of course, if you've got a sellout stadium, that helps. But if you went along ambivalent to the game, then you're not going to feel it regardless, are you? Do you think it's just a case that, I mean, City have had a lot of success very quickly. The fan base hasn't been able to grow at the same rate that we've been able to improve. We're still quite a local club at heart, perhaps. Again, apart from the kind of the add-on supporters, we don't have the same worldwide attraction as Manchester United or Chelsea. I think that's grown, but it's, it's not there yet. We don't even have a countrywide appeal to what I call the people who want to follow a successful football team, even though in latter years we've been amazingly successful. Whether that will come, whether there's just more choices for people, more things to do. Saturday afternoons were quite boring in my day. You know, People went to see football. <laughs> That's what people do. There's, a, there's a, kind of a lot more choice, isn't there, for people? It's expensive to go to watch football for a family and even more expensive to travel and to go to see football. Keeping on the subject then of of the future and Manchester City, again, during your entire life and having followed the club for, for as long as you have, did you ever expect City to be in the position they're in? No. Simple answer to that, no. If we'd been consoling each other when they were beaten by Macclesfield Town, I said, well, don't worry, because in 2003, this is going to happen. Then in 2008, some 
Arab guy is going to come along with a shed loads of cash. Nobody would have believed that, no. Let's talk a little bit about those dark years then, as we got progressively worse, you know, into the 90s. But I wanted to pick up firstly on something you said slightly earlier, which was the atmosphere of football itself in the 80s. And this is something that people of my generation won't have any experience of. You said it's better now that you feel able to take your kids to a football match. What was it like for fans of the 80s? Unfortunately, football was a sport that attracted people who were there to make trouble. Certain clubs had particular reputation, but it was a problem throughout. Across the board, big clubs had a problem with it. And of course, the more problems there were, the more trouble, the more fights, the more violence, the less families were inclined to go. And it's in that climate that terrible things like Hillsborough happened. That was the reputation and sometimes actually the reality of what football had to a lot of people become. Not football itself, but the grassroots supporters who were still there but were overshadowed by people who just wanted to, you know, kick hell out of each other and rip the seats up. And, and that's very frightening. And then to become hemmed in, which is what actually happened then. And, and I think people can, can visualise that because of the terrible events at Hillsborough. People were actually penned in. Football grounds were like cages. Do you think there was two aspects to it then? There was that hooligan aspect, but there was also the way football fans being largely of, of, of a working class disposition. Do you think the way they were treated was like they were going to cause trouble even before they were? Yeah, unfortunately, it becomes then a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's an element of trouble causes, and, and, and certainly football had that problem, and it was difficult at the time to shake that off. But then it became, by those who had no interest and no culture of football, into anybody who turned up in the football match was there to cause a problem, particularly if you were a young person. As you've spoken about, Hillsborough was, was the culmination of that, really. And then for City, from that point onwards, you know, off the field and on the field got worse and worse until, you know, you hit the late 90s, which is when the club pretty much hits rock bottom. Did you, at the time, follow City closely? Did you experience the, the lowest of lows that City fans went through? Yeah, it was, it, it was a long period of time of doom and gloom, but it just didn't get any better. And even though we were kind of resigned to it, nobody could actually believe it was happening. It was awful. And I think people, as we do with the national football team, people more and more dwell on and reflect on the great times, which were actually years and years prior to that, you know, sort of late 60s, early 70s, because that's all there was to kind of hang on to. And interesting, when I was putting my 11 players together, I've kind of only got one player of that particular dark sort of time, um, which is interesting, isn't it? In terms of, it wasn't a lot of fun. No, absolutely not. But even still, you know, City were still cheering out, you know, 25,000 people at Main Road in the third tier of English football. As we say, City moved into the City of Manchester Stadium in 2003. A number of consecutive solid seasons in the Premier League, but never looking like doing anything special. And then all of a sudden, 2008, all this money comes in. You've already said about your, you've got certain reservations about the amount of money in football. Do you have certain conflicted feelings about City's investment and, and the way the club has gone? 
Yes, I, I do. And it's fabulous to see the quality of players that City's got now. And they have produced very exciting, top-class, world-class football to watch. But well, you kind of feel it's cheating. If you can buy any players you want from all over the world, then surely you should win everything. Do you think then that's a view obtained by a fan of a club who historically had their best players bought off them by the best teams? Yeah, and you'd like to see players coming through the youth teams as well. And back in the day, I can't say they were all local lads, but there were a lot of local lads who came through the ranks. And that gave that kind of cohesion as a fan, I think. I love the players they've got now, the top players, and they're from all over the world and they're, they're fabulous to watch. But that's perhaps the difference of a club that can just buy anybody. Do you, however, think that you're glad that it's City that's got the money and no one else? Of course. <laughs> we want it where we're human nature. We want it both ways. Don't we? we want to win all these things. But we want the old days back when we only had people who came through the youth academy. We're incredibly lucky as a club. And, and I think old stages like me still have to pinch themselves that this is actually my team. Looking a bit more off the field then, at the owners, I mean, we've seen what Eastlands and the area around the Etihad, what it was and what it's become, and then how much investment has gone into the local area. Do you think City, not only City fans, but Mancunians in general have a bit to be thankful for? Yeah, I do fully feel that the owners of Manchester City have, whether the hand was forced or otherwise, invested in that area and the amount of rejuvenation that went on in the Eastlands area as it became known in Manchester is, is huge. And if you were to come back from before the millennium and see that area, you wouldn't be able to believe what it looks like now. And that's all, all positive stuff. And then on the flip side, how much as a City fan does it concern you the reports of human rights abuses in the UAE by the ruling class of which Sheikh Mansour is one? I've spent time in the UAE in, in all of the Emirates and I can absolutely say that how they work as a society is, is not how we would generally work. And in terms of human rights worries, there would definitely be those. It's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? And there are other clubs that are affiliated with Eastern Europe and Russia. And I think in terms of how that money was obtained, there are always question marks. And I think we should always question that and think about it. Let's bring it back onto the field then, before we move on to your all-time 11. How much more do you think City can improve? What should the ambitions of the club be now? Uh, I think that they've shown they've been able to grow in terms of achievement, so winning competitions. I think for me, just speaking very personally, that because of the money involved in football in general, not just in Manchester City, if I would like City to work on something and, and it's a really difficult thing to articulate as to how they would achieve this, that you would want them to, to have that affiliation with the club, with the area, with its culture and heritage. And I guess in terms of the way that top flight football secures its players and how 
transfers, how and why transfer deals are made and the globalisation around that. I guess that's probably not going to happen, but it's great that they've won trophies, but we've won everything over the years, haven't we? And that's fabulous. And, and I'm sure that will continue to a greater or lesser extent. But what I would like is to somehow for those players and, and maybe I'm biased, but I feel that Vincent got close to it, really feeling those attachments to the club and the area and the people that it represents. We may as well wrap it up with my final question, which, as it always is, is a repeat of the first. What do you think it means to be a Manchester City fan? It means highs, lows and so many golden moments in between. Always something to talk about. Always a reason to be disappointed. Always a reason to be surprised. And always a reason to be, well, no, not always a reason to be elated. Sometimes a reason to be elated. Mum, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was my mum, Caroline Clark, speaking about my beloved Manchester City. Our final podcast of the series will be this Sunday as my mum picks her all-time Manchester City 11. I do hope you've enjoyed the series, and if you want a series to, then let me know and tell me which clubs you want to hear about. All the best and stay safe. ta